Now, before we get started, I just want to let you know that what we're teaching this morning is something that has been taught to me, and I'm doing my absolute best to present this to you as accurately as possible because it moved me, it motivated me, and I want to have, uh, I want it to have the same impact on you. So we're presenting this final part of this series to you this morning. So let's end the year with the birth narrative of Jesus. You see, the first century world, that's back when the clock, the calendar rolled around to year one A.D., this first century world, um, there were many books and there were many journals at that time, things that were written down. But they were only written about kings and emperors, uh, about world leaders and changers like that. They were not written about normal, ordinary people. You just didn't find that. No average person had a book written about them in the first century. And here we have, for us, we have four books written about the life of Jesus. And these books are called the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, there's also John. All four books written about the biography, the life of Jesus. Now, interestingly, Mark and John did not include this birth narrative of Jesus. In fact, Mark says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So he kind of, in essence, really starts off with a very short genealogy of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, well, let's just take it straight to the source. Jesus is the Son of God. That's it. That's all that needs to be said. That's basically how Mark begins his genealogy. Now, John does not start his book with what happened at the birth narrative, the birth of Jesus. He doesn't start with that. He says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, so the word became, and the word is speaking of Jesus, so Jesus, the word, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. It says, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So John did not start his book really by describing what happened at the birth of Jesus. He didn't describe it that way. He doesn't describe how Jesus entered into his creation, how he came from being God to being a human. He didn't start that way. He rather begins with why. Jesus showed up. Now, John knew that Jesus was the true light. He knew that. And he knew when Jesus came as a human, he came as a gift to everyone. Listen to what the Bible says in John 1, verse 9. The one who is the true light, that's Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's how John begins. He said, this true light is going to shine into the darkness and into very dark places, and and this light is going to bring understanding to everyone who chooses to participate with God. Here's what he says now in verse 12. Yet to all 
And that all means that includes you and that includes me. Yet to all who receive him. Let's pause there for a moment. Now John is getting ready to create a new saying. He didn't make up words. He's using two Greek words and putting them together. And this this, uh, position of these two words being placed together are creating a new phrase, a new meaning, that to this point in history, these two Greek words had really not been placed together until John does it right here to form a totally new meaning. These two words that he places together are believe in. These two Greek words that he puts together. And here's how it goes. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his, believed in, believed he gave the right to become children of God. Believe in is much, much more than believe that or more than believe about or believe something concerning. John has created a new phrase here. Believe in means trusting in. It's not just believing about Jesus. It's not just believing information about Jesus or that Jesus really existed. He said believe in, which is meaning trusting in. And next, he tells us the why behind why Jesus had to come to this earth. Here's the why Jesus had to be born. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John is saying that the birth of Jesus is the only way that we can have a new birth. Now John also ends his book by telling us why Jesus had to be born. So we looked at the beginning. Now here's the end. And John is telling us why again at the end. John chapter 20 verse 31. But these are written. In other words, everything I've just written, John says, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in, here's those two words again, and this is very significant, those two words, very significant throughout the book of John. Those, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Now notice how personal that is. He's talking to you. Those who believe in, and then he says, then you will have life by the power of his name. The creator this seemingly impossible to get to know God. This creator that is unknowable by most of us. Now listen, we all understand that maybe, yeah, maybe some of the great people in our history would get the opportunity to know God, but not me. I mean, maybe, yes, Moses, and yes, maybe Abraham, yes, maybe King David, yes, surely they would get to know God, but not me, just a few this seemingly unknowable creator, God, 
wants to get up close and personal with all of us. That's spectacular. You know, it took the disciples who followed Jesus closely, it took them three years to figure this out. To figure out that this was for all of us. You see, they thought that Jesus was going to march His way through Jerusalem and sit on the throne of Israel and rule Israel. That's what the disciples thought. All the while they were following and was to march through Jerusalem. That's not how Jesus planned it. His plan was to march through Jerusalem, yes, but toward the cross. And His plan was to hang from that cross and to die on that cross as the Savior of the world, not just the Savior of Israel. They had it all wrong, His disciples did. Their agenda for Jesus was wrong. And you know what? We, we pretty much have it wrong too. Most of us, including me, many, many, many times, we get it wrong. We have an agenda for God, for Jesus. We believe that Jesus came. We believe that Jesus came and He gave His life so that we could have an easier life. We believe that Jesus came so that we could have less pain. We believe that Jesus came so that there would be maybe less divorce and less trouble in our lives. We believe that He came so that there would be less bankruptcy and less foreclosure and less getting fired, less getting laid off, less death, less uh, our electric and water utilities being shut off from no payment. We believe that He came to, to bring us less arthritis and less heart attacks and less Alzheimer's and less dementia and less cancer. We believe that Jesus came to bring us less crime and less uh, infidelity and less addiction. We believe that Jesus came so there would be less racial tension, less poverty, and less political corruption. That's what we tend to believe. And way back in the first century, as the disciples looked around, they saw the Roman government, and they looked at that Roman government, and they said, the Israelites said, that's our problem. That is what is wrong with our country. That is what is wrong with us. It's the Roman government. They're the problem. And if we could just simply have Jesus sit on the throne as the king of Israel, he would solve that problem. But the problem was not the Roman government. That was not the problem. The problem was not the Romans in Israel. The problem was their sin in Israel. Not the Romans, the Israelites. That was the problem. And as we look around our problems today in the United States, in Arkansas, in Arkansas County, in the Grand Prairie, as we look at our problems today, we see them as health. We see them as money problems. We see them as politics. We see them as cultural problems. But that's not the problem at all. Don't kid yourself. The problem is the same today. Our problem is our 
sin. Not other people's sin. Our problem is our sin. So Jesus came. That's why. Jesus was sent here to fix my problem. My sin problem. That's why He came. Jesus came as a personal Savior. And it's as if John in his Gospel is telling us, listen guys, trust me. I was there. Trust me, he's saying. So, that's our setup. Now let's go to the biography, the narrative story of Jesus. It is told by the other two books, the book of Matthew and also the book of Luke. We're going to start with Luke this morning. Luke was a doctor. And so Luke was a very critical and orderly thinking man. And Luke gives us an account from eyewitnesses. What he did is he went and, and he uh, did extensive research. And Luke, uh, uh, he talked to and interviewed eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. He went and he did all of this research from eyewitnesses and he put it together. He recorded it in the book of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 starting with verse 26. It will be on the screen for you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. A virgin named Mary... She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. He goes on, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Now we're talking about Mary, a teenage girl. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. He goes on, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, this is important to know. Jesus, that word, that name, is an English pronunciation. That's the English word. That's what we read in our English Bibles. But the word written in the Greek New Testament is um, Iesus, and that's it's pronounced many different ways, but that's a basic pronunciation. That's the Greek word. So that's what is written in the Greek. The, the New Testament was written in, in the language of, of Greek, and that's how it is in there. So it is written Iesus. Now, Mary, when the angel was speaking to Mary, he did not say Iesus. Iesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Yehoshua. That's the word the angel used. You will name him Yehoshua. That's the Hebrew word. We have an English word for that as well. Yehoshua in English is Joshua. That's what Mary heard. The angel said, you will name him Yehoshua. You will name him Joshua. Now that's significant. We'll come back to that. Verse 32, the angel says, he will be a very great, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, 
David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, let's shift gears. That was Luke's account, and now we're going to shift gears to Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and um, Matthew gives us his account, and here it is in Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way, Matthew says. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. For Mary to be pregnant, see, they're engaged, they're not married. For Mary to be pregnant as an engaged woman, this was a capital offense. Mary could be put to death. This was a capital offense crime. Verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, because also, not just would it be a disgrace, she could be killed, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, even though they were not married yet, they were engaged, this is how it worked in the first century and before that even. Once you were officially engaged, that was unbreakable. It was as if you're married, but there's no benefits of being married. You cannot just walk up and say, oh, here's your ring back, or, hey, I decided I didn't want to get married. It couldn't happen. The only way to end an engagement was through a divorce. You don't get to say, I just changed my mind. So Joseph was wanting to do this, divorce her, end the engagement very quietly. He loved Mary very quietly. He wanted to end this. Now they had in that time a style of divorce that some of the rabbis recognized. You hear Jesus talk about this later in the New Testament when he talks about divorce. And it was called a divorce for any reason. <laughs> any reason at all. Now only the man could ask for that. The women, they were, they were not able but the man could ask for a divorce for any reason at all. Some of the rabbis, not all, some of the rabbis approved that. And that's what Joseph was going to do. He was going to get a divorce for any reason. And they could do that quietly and just kind of put it behind them. Verse 20. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you, you are to name him Jesus. And once again, Joseph did not hear the name Jesus. That's for us. And that is the English word for the Greek word, Yeshua, which the Greek word to the Hebrew word, Yeshua, that was Joshua. That's what he heard. You are to name him, and our English word we'll use, Joshua, is what the angel said. You are to name him Joshua, and that's what they did. Um, now, as soon as he heard this, you were to name him Joshua, Joseph knew at that moment this was 
the Messiah. That's all he had to hear. He knew that this was the Messiah that was going to be born. And Joshua was going to be his name. And Joseph could only, I can only imagine, here's the next phrase in this. It it says, you're going to name him Jesus, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And the wheels are turning. Yes, 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 yes. Joseph would be thinking, this this Joshua, this Jesus, yes, this is the Messiah. And he's going to save Rome from their sins, yes, but he's going to save us from Rome. That's what he's going to do. This Joshua, this Jesus, is going to be a military leader. This is what is going through the mind of Joseph and all the other, other Israelites. This Jesus is going to be a military leader. He's going to save us from Rome. He's going to sit on the throne and be the king of Israel. Saving Israel from their sins? No. That's not what this Jesus is going to do. No, 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 no. He's going to save us from Rome. You see, they weren't looking for their sins to be saved at all by Jesus. But Jesus came to save them from what they needed most. And it wasn't Rome. It was their sin. Let's go back to Luke now. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Remember last week, if you were here, Last week we talked about this person who was the first Roman emperor and his name was Caesar Augustus. Let me remind you who he is. You remember the uh, history of Julius Caesar, the most famous Caesar probably? When he got killed, the nephew of Julius Caesar was one of the people who came to the rescue to hunt down the people who killed Julius Caesar and to bring justice. This was Octavian, that was the nephew of Julius Caesar. He was 19 years old. And he ruled, he ruled Rome with two other people. But at the age of 30, he decided, I'm going to rule Rome by myself. And so he defeated the other leaders in Rome. He became the only leader of the Roman uh, Empire at that time. And he named himself, he named himself Emperor Caesar Augustus. And that's him right there. And he makes an appearance in this narrative of the birth of Jesus. It says here that he decreed, Caesar Augustus decreed, that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. It goes on in verse 3. All returned to their own village, their own ancestral towns, to register for this census. Verse 4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. I want to pause here for just a moment. Um, well, let, let me keep going. Then I'll come back. Just remember that word, Bethlehem. In Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there 
from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, from where Joseph and Mary were living, it was about 80 to 100 miles to Bethlehem. Doesn't sound like far to us. Um, I drove almost that far just to be here this morning. Doesn't sound that far. But for them, that was a long way. Here's an interesting fact. Um, They had to go to this town, Bethlehem. Um, Do you know what? Why they had to go to Bethlehem? They had to go to Bethlehem. That's where Jesus had to be born, from Bethlehem. Because that's what was predicted in the book of Micah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So that's where it had to happen. And God made the most powerful man in the entire world, the emperor Caesar Augustus. The emperor Caesar Augustus, he made that emperor caesar augustus call for a census so that mary and joseph would end up in bethlehem pretty interesting god holds all of this in his hand so he made the most powerful man in the world do that interestingly enough do you know later on in the ministry of jesus that jesus describes himself as the bread of what the bread of life do you know what, and, and where Jesus was born was what town? The little village, the little town of Bethlehem. And do you know what the meaning of that word Bethlehem is? The meaning is house of bread. And it happens to be the birthplace of the bread of life. Interesting, interesting. Luke goes on in Luke chapter 2, verse 5. He took Mary, his fiancée, who was now, they were, they're engaged, now obviously pregnant. Now notice there has not been a wedding yet. They are just engaged and she is very, very pregnant. Now in our minds we see Mary and Joseph headed off from their town to Bethlehem. That's what we see. We see Mary on a donkey in our mind. We imagine that. Joseph leading the donkey and they make their way. That's probably not how it happened. I mean we weren't there but the tradition of the day was the man rode the donkey and the woman walked. I know, it's crazy, right? Now, we weren't there, we didn't see it, so we don't know if Joseph stepped up or not. We have no idea, but that was the tradition of the day. We don't know that, but we do know this. It was a long and a hard journey. It would take them somewhere between five and eight long days to get to Bethlehem. But they had to be there to fulfill the census that Caesar Augustus called for. And they had to be there because that is where the Messiah was going to be born, as prophesied. Let's go on to Luke chapter 2, verse 6 now. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Verse 7, she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snuggling Uh, in snugly wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and she laid him in a manger because there were no there was no lodging available for them and it goes on in verse 8 that night there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep shepherds have you ever wondered why it's shepherds that get this next information? Why shepherds? I mean, why not farmers? Why not the shopkeepers? Why not 
the priests? Why didn't the angel go to the priest? Why the shepherds? And we don't know. We don't know why. But we do know this, that shepherds were always ceremonially unclean. Because they were out there with the sheep and the flocks. And they were outcasts, the shepherds were. They were unclean. So here, God chooses to announce one of the most amazing moments in all of history. He announces it to the least likely group of people, the shepherds. And here it is in verse 9. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Why were they terrified? Whenever God shows up, it's terrifying. Verse 11, the angel says, Today a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly, they love that, in cloth and lying in a manger. Now don't miss this. If you have not heard anything that we have said this morning, don't miss this. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the angel says to the shepherds, was born for you. As he speaks to the shepherds. And for you, for all of you who feel like or have ever felt like an outcast, He was born for you. For all of you who were not included when you wanted to be included, He was born for you. For all of you who have felt unclean, He was born for you. For all of you who felt like you were not good enough, he was born for you. For all of you who have been avoided by others and it hurt, who have been looked down upon by others and rejected, He was born for you. Yes, you. He was born for you. And the angel says, you who were not included, you are now included. And the shepherds look around at each other and they say, let's go. Let's go. Let's go see what has happened for us. Let's go see what has happened to us. Let's go see what has happened. And my friends, we are grateful. We are grateful for the Bible. But we are not Christ followers because of the Bible. We are Christ followers because something happened. Some things happened. Because God interrupted our lives on this earth. He interrupted our history because God showed up here on this earth Himself and things happened. That is why we are Christ followers. 
I already told you that not much was ever recorded in the first century unless you were royalty or you were high up on the scale of life. But here we have four entire books not just a few lines, not just a few paragraphs. We have four entire books that are first-hand accounts of the life of a baby, the life of a carpenter, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Why do we have that recorded in four books when nothing was written about babies or carpenters? We have it because something happened. And you know many, many, many people died to make sure that these four books made it to you today in this generation. Do you know why? Because something happened. We are not Christians because of a book. We are Christians because something happened. And what happened was recorded. And then it was copied. And it was produced. So it would last generation after generation and people were willing to die to make sure that this made it to our generation today. You see, Christianity, it is not a fragile thing. God has it safely in His hands. Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But Mary was treasuring up all these things, in her heart and meditating on them. In other words, she was thinking about them deeply, but she was keeping it relatively private. Because who would believe her anyway? So she really told no one. She kept them safely in her heart. And I am sure that she did her best to raise Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, God Himself up, as normal as possible. And at the age of when Jesus was 33, she saw Him leave and begin His public ministry, which was a three-year journey, Jesus marching toward the cross. And later Mary would watch Him die. And then later she would peek into that empty tomb and she would later see her son, the Savior, the Messiah, resurrected from death as her personal Savior. Now Matthew, he sat down and he wrote it all down. Paying very close attention to every detail of the life of Jesus so he would get it all down right. Luke did the same thing. He interviewed person after person, eyewitness after eyewitness, and he wrote it all down, and he wanted to get it right. But John, John 
was the one who actually took care of Mary after Jesus left this earth. John became the son of Mary. Mary became, and, and, and he took care of her. John, who knew Mary better than any other person living, John knew Mary. He cared for her. John knew the birth story better than any other person who probably ever lived besides Mary. John, who had the opportunity to say, hey, Mary, 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 tell me again. What was it like when the angel spoke to you? How afraid were you? What was it like when you traveled to, to Bethlehem? What was it like that night that Jesus was born? What was it like when the shepherds showed up? What was it like years later when the wise men came? What was it like to run off to Egypt? What was it like to raise God in human form? Mary, tell me about it. John knew better than anyone besides Mary. Now we see John as a very old man. And John writes down his experience. His first hand account of the life of Jesus. And trying to summarize the entire thing. Trying to summarize it all. Trying to get it just right. How do I summarize in just a few words the life of Jesus? The why of Jesus. How do I summarize it? And here's what he penned as a very old man. John chapter 3, verse 16. He summarizes it this way. For God so loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who, there are those two words again, that He put together, He coined the phrase, Everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, anyone who believes in, who trusts in, everyone who places his life in the care and the control of Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. This, is the Christmas story. It's whoever. It is every. It is all who believe in, trust in, will have eternal life. And you know what? 2,000 years later, after John wrote this down, most of us can quote that verse today. But John goes on. There's verse 17 after that. He says, God sent His Son into the world. He says, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. This is the Christmas story. This is why we celebrate Christmas. That's why. God gave us what we needed, not what we thought we should have. And we needed a personal Savior. And Mary. Mary needed a personal Savior. The shepherds. The shepherds needed a personal Savior. The wise men. They needed a personal Savior. King Herod. The Caesar Augustus. All needed a personal Savior. And we 
need a personal Savior today. And Jesus came to light it up. He came to light the world, to light it up for you and for me. And the Bible says, John tells us, the darkness will never extinguish His light. This year, I simply ask you this, as the band makes their way to the front. Here's what I ask. Will you, if you have not already, will you end your year submitted to Jesus, your personal Savior? Will you simply say to Him in your heart right now this moment, Jesus, I've blown it. I've lived this year my way. But at this moment, right now, I tell you, I need you. This moment, right now, I submit everything I know about my life, everything I'm aware of, and I'm not even aware of it all, but everything I'm aware of, God, I submit to you. It's yours. Because I need a personal Savior. And we can do that, my friends, because Jesus came, God Himself, as a baby. He lived on this earth sinless so that He could go to the cross as the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. That is why we're Christ followers. Because something actually happened. And if this morning for the very first time you were trusting your life into the care and the control of Jesus, will you please, please, please let us know on the back of your connection card before you put it in that bucket today. Please let us know. Now will you join me as we end this last Sunday in 2018 in prayer? Jesus, you did not come to give us what we want. You did not come to make our lives less painful. You did not come, Jesus, to make our lives easier and to make our lives struggle-free. Jesus, you came not to give us what we want. You came to give us what we need. And what we need is a personal Savior. Jesus, we need you. And today... May we say that we're going to love you with our whole heart, Jesus, today. We're going to love you with all of our soul today. We're going to love you with all of our mind and all of our strength today. Today, may we say, as for me and my house, we, we will serve the Lord. And may we say, and may we live. All of that, every single day in 2019. With all of our heart, Jesus, and all of our soul, our mind, and our strength, please bless our lives in direct proportion to our daily surrender to Jesus. Grant this prayer only according to your will, Jesus. Amen.